go. Well, that's a good one. That's a good song and, and also very appropriate for where we're going to be today. Um, uh, we had a good day yesterday. We had, uh, we were working with a group called 6-4 Fellowship, uh, which is also related to 6-3 Discipleship. 6-3 Disciples under 6-4 Leaders make a 6-7 Revival, and that refers to Acts chapter 6. And uh, so I've been working with them and encouraging myself and other pastors, and actually really for every believer to be people of prayer and the Word. And it's, in, in today's kind of church culture, it's a bit stunning uh, to tell pastors and, and even their churches, you guys need to be focused on prayer and the Word. That is your primary responsibility. And so we were able to meet with some of the local pastors in our area, even as far, as far away as Brookville came and we're here uh, yesterday and Pastor Steve, Pastor Trent was here as well from Zion. Uh, and again, just everyone helped out in a, in a great way. And so we'll, we'll keep working with them and praying for fruit from that as well. Uh, and then one of the representatives from Ohio came, his name is Jeff, who uh, again, been working with myself over these weeks. And so uh, it, was a, it was a good day. It was a good day for us to hear that encouragement. Uh, we are, again, right, right about smack dab in the middle of experiencing God's series, uh, and so we're going to review our memory verse and look at adjusting our life to God. As we, as we start with the whole process of experiencing God, is first of all just hearing, listening to God, and, and then when he speaks, responding to that. Uh, with obedience, saying, yes, I will do what you are calling me to do. Now, it might be like with Abraham, you know, it took 25 years uh, to get that son that God said he would give. But on the other hand, there are many times where we are acting right away. So the, the memory verse we're at is John 15, John 15, John 5, 19. Jesus replied, truly, I, I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the son does, the son or the father does, the son likewise does these things. It's an odd way to say that. Uh, so with me now, everyone. Jesus replied, "Truly I say to you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things." So, okay. Today you're going to have a bit of a Latin. Message, or Latin lesson, uh, and there's a, there, there are passages in the Word of God that are frankly hard to figure out. What in the world are they talking about? Uh, there, boy, there's some in, the, there's some in both Testaments, uh, and you, could, you can get 24 Bible commentaries and there'll be 35 opinions about what a particular passage might mean. And so instead of just saying difficult passages, theologians use Latin. And they use the phrase hapax legonima, which means, uh, to translate that in Latin, it means, huh? Uh, that's kind of what it means. They, what, what is it all about? Uh, again, there, there are some, it's, it's interesting, that little letter of Jude, there's actually quite a few of those. It's like, what are you talking about? Brother Jude, and, and so forth. But anyway, we're going to actually look at one of those today, and, and, but I think we can narrow it down to what it means when uh, uh, Jesus is talking about uh, some cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship is uh, 
important for us, as we'll see in just a minute, but it's, it, it, it does not allow anyone to kind of be a casual Christian. You have to indeed uh, dedicate your entire life. Even as the songs that we're singing uh, today, uh, the, the divine exchange, we give all that we might have his life. Uh, the author, Henry Blackaby, said this in the Experiencing God workbook. He said, I grieve to know that these dear people assumed they could follow Jesus without first denying themselves and taking up their cross. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 14 today. And just so you know the, the uh, context of these qualifications of discipleship, Jesus has just told a parable uh, about a banquet, a great banquet. And he, you know, he, he invited this great man, invited all these different people to come and join us in his banquet. Well, they had other things to do. You know, once, oh, hey, I just, and, and, and when you look at their excuses, they're kind of lame. It's like, well, I just, you know, I just bought some land. I have to go look at it. It's like, you didn't look at it before you bought it? I, mean, I, just, I just bought some, some oxen and I got to make sure they're okay. It's like, really? I mean, or you can't do this later? Uh, and then, you know, another one, well, I just got married. You know, how that goes. And so all these different excuses, and actually they finally compelled all the, the, the poor, the people living out in the street to come and fill the banquet. And he says, those who are invited, forget them. They're not even going to come. So he's now going to tell us about the conditions for discipleship. And actually you could look, look at, title this uh, this message or this passage in many different ways. It could also mean a warning against half-heartedness or the requirements of true discipleship. But we're going to look at the opening phrase of this whole discussion Jesus has is in Luke chapter 14, verse 25. He says, Now great crowds accompany him, and he turned and said to them. Now let's, let's just pause there for a minute. Because there, there may be a distinction between following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus. It's not real crystal clear, but, but there may be a distinction between those two things. Because see, lots of people were following Jesus. Now, why were they? Why, why, why were these great crowds feeding them? Well, for starters, he fed them. Literally. I mean, the, he gave them food and, they were, and took care of them as they were traveling around. Another reason is he was kind of cool to watch. You know, let's, let's see what he's going to do next. You know, who's he going to heal? Is he going to heal another blind person? Is he going to raise someone from the dead? That was really cool. I mean, well, he was cool to watch all the different things he would do. They didn't want to miss anything. Um, maybe a little bit better motive is he was a compelling teacher. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, it says, no one spoke like this guy. He spoke with authority. He, his messages are just over the top, different from all the different other messages we're receiving. Uh, so uh, these reasons, though, why some of them might be a little bit better are, are frankly self-focused. What can they get? Can they, you know, are they entertained? Are they, are they just wanting to see something new? But is being a disciple a whole nother matter? Great crowd following. Following's okay, but is there more? The International Critical Commentary says they must understand that following him involves a great deal, not just watching him. 
there are people that may be associated with Jesus, but not actually disciples. Hmm. It's a little uncomfortable to talk about that. Even Jesus later on, it says there are going to be some people who say, hey, we did all these great things for you, Jesus. Come on, let's go to your kingdom. He says, I don't know you. I don't know you at all. There is some distinction there. Can you be a follower but not a disciple? And I've, really, I've been chewing on this. I asked the question not to be able to give you an answer. I'm not sure, quite frankly, which is actually a scarier place to be if we're not sure. And as I thought about it, and I thought about it, can you follow Jesus and not be a disciple? And then one word came to my mind, Judas. Hmm, maybe you can. Maybe you can be a follower, but not actually a disciple. So what are the qualifications of being a disciple? He's going to give us four qualifications. Now, if there, there are times in the scriptures, especially in Paul's letters, where a lot of these commands are written, what we would say, in the plural. So it's not you individually do this, but it's you all. And it doesn't mean we don't do them individually, but it's just speaking to a group. These qualifications, though, they're written in a singular format, meaning it's very personal. Uh, Jesus will use words like anyone or own. And so it's not just a group, but our individual hearts are are matter here. So... Four qualifications. The first one is in verse 26. So we'll pick up reading right where we left off. He says, he turned to this group and said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So you have to hate your family to be a disciple? Now, if you've read any part of the, of the Gospels and hear Jesus teaching, you thought, wait, 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 time, time. I thought he's commanded us to love everybody. Yes, he has. So what in the world is he talking about? This, again, is what's called that hapax legonima. And we read that and we say, huh? What? What do you say? What are you talking about? What does he mean by hating your family? Some people say, hey, he's using an exaggeration. He's just kind of going over the top here with his explanation. Or perhaps he's drawing a comparison and compared to Jesus, compared to loving Jesus, your, your love for your family is almost like hate. It's just, he's drawing this comparison. Or maybe it's a contrast. Jesus is the first and primary loyalty. Jesus is the first and primary love. Uh, Tyndale says discipleship means giving one's first loyalty or first allegiance. It's, It's the person, it's the thing to whom we are committed first. We often heard the priorities, well, God is first, then my family, and then myself. And, and that's true. I think those are biblical. Do we then hold to those? Do other things kind of creep in to that priority of the Lord? And when I, when I first read this, I thought, wow, to be his disciple, hate your family. That's a big cost. 
We value our families. And it's not necessarily a warning. It dawned on me, it's not really a warning, but it's really a call to worship. He's worth loving more than anything else. That's a call. That, that, is a, that is an idea of worship, even more than the most precious things in our lives, in our hearts. Um, now, in reality, in, as life goes on, loving Jesus and your family are often compatible. Right? So they, they can go hand in hand. But we're talking here about priority. We're talking here about primary loyalty. And, and really, quite frankly, if you want to be a good dad or mom or spouse or brother or sister, if you want to be better at that, love Jesus most of all. If you got that, if you got that down, then you're going you're gonna to be transformed. You're going to be more and more like Christ, and you could even love your family even better. The best way to love your family is to be devoted to Jesus, first of all, because we change. It's even possible, though, to be on the other side of that, is we could be a hindrance to our family uh, if we are not loving or being devoted to Christ. In other words, will they have to... Like, like, for example, would they have to cast me aside if I was leading them away from Christ? Would they have to love him more? In my own story, I had to, I, I had to decide as I was growing, again, young man, I was just coming up, you know, 16 to the 18 years old, even in my, into my 20s, I was growing closer and closer to the Lord. Well, my dad wasn't. He was becoming more and more embittered. He was becoming more and more critical. And so I, I remember thinking, well, if I, I, could, I could give up this Jesus thing or, or at least put it to the side, maybe my dad and I will get along better. But I got to love Jesus most and best. And so um, it was always a tension between my father-in-law, my father and I, because of my faith. I had to pick Jesus over that. We talked about Gideon last week. Gideon, we didn't, get, we didn't go into this part of the story, but in Judges chapter 6, Gideon, one of the first things he does as the judge and deliverer is he pulls down an idol. It's called, it called the Baal, Baal. And he has to pull this down. You know where that was located? In his dad's yard. It was his dad's idol. And he had, now he did it at night when no one else was around, but he had to decide. Sometimes, sometimes people have to choose, even between their beloved family and Jesus, even believers today. Um, if the choice becomes between the Lord and them, the disciple must choose between the Lord. Uh, again, another negative example you can look up later in 1 Samuel chapter 2, specifically verse 29. There's one of the worst judges in, in Scripture. His name was Eli, and he uh, honored his sons, who were wicked jerks, uh, over the Lord. He chose them over the Lord. Now, did, let me just set a little bit of qualification, and just so we understand. When we say love the Lord, we don't necessarily mean like you say yes to every single church activity. 
where you're always, you're always involved with every single thing. You're always saying yes to everything the church is doing and abandoning your family. Uh, this, is, this is common, especially for, uh, for pastors, is that you get, you get so involved with everyone else except your own family. Uh, that We're not talking about church activities. We're just talking about who is your primary and first love, not just being overly busy. The world does not get this. They don't get, especially I think in, in our environment here, they, they do not get that family, or they think family is my highest value. But let's, let's think of this theologically. As wonderful as your family is, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your siblings, theologically and truthfully, they can't save your soul. No matter how much you love them, they can't save their soul. They have to worry about their own souls. Nor can you save your family's soul. Can't do it. That's why Jesus has to be first. God remains the priority. And really the Lord is the identity. Is a, uh, Ephesians, uh, I, think it's, I can't remember if it's one or three, says that every, every, every family on earth derives its name from the Lord. He is our identity. Our life takes a, our own life has to take a lower priority. Jesus says you even have to put your, your own life is greater than him. He's the top priority, folks, hands down. That's the first qualification. Here's the second one. It, gets, it, gets, it still gets hard. The second qualification of being a disciple is in verse 27. Jesus says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now they understood this. And they were living in the Roman era. Crucifixion was common. Jesus wasn't the only one ever to be crucified. Lots of people were thought, I don't know how many, but it was a common way of execution. So they would see people carrying their cross to their death. They knew what that meant. Uh, and there were literal crosses. That's, they, they, were, they were essentially saying when a criminal's carrying their cross, now they, they're obviously forced uh, to do this, but they're carrying the cross and essentially saying, I'm guilty. And I'm going to die. I'm going to pay for what I have done. And so they were admitting all of that. The cross is the consequence. A cross with a payment. And Jesus said, you have, to bear, you have to bear your own cross. His own cross. There's that singular ver- or, or, or nouns again. Following Jesus means sacrifice. Think about carrying a cross. That's not comfortable. If you want a comfortable faith, you won't carry a cross. Whatever that might mean whatever that may mean. Perhaps following Jesus involves even pain or discomfort. A person carrying a cross is heading to death. Now, why is that? Why is is following Christ being a disciple, why is it hard? Well, frankly, because the world we live in is still sinful. They don't get it. The world is still selfish. It's still arrogant. But his point is don't be, don't quit because it's going to get hard. We have brothers and sisters around the world that are carrying their cross in the form of persecution. They're losing their jobs. They're losing even their families. They're, they're, they're losing their homes and living out in the street for Christ. That's a cross to bear. 
Don't quit because there's hardship. We're then also identifying with Jesus. Because guess what? He carried the cross before we did. He, he came. His purpose was coming. That was his destiny to offer his life as a ransom for many. And if just think about the words follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. Well, he picked up a cross. Follow him. Bear our own. If you're a disciple, you do what the master does. Now, does that, again, meet a literal one? Well, again, we don't see too many of those around in our, in our context. But, the, by the way, there were some Christians who were crucified in the early church. But as far as our own desires, our will, and what God wants, we're not our own. Say, I'm nailing those on the cross. I am going to bear that for him. We're, our wants are dead. And we abandon the world and its values. We follow him. We, we like him. We emulate him. We, su- we submit him. Yes. That's bearing a cross for Christ. There's more. There's another qualification. And that's in, in uh, continued in Jesus' speech here. To count the cost. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all begin to see it and mock him, saying, this man began to, began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, the other is yet a great way off. He sends a delegation for terms of peace. So he's a couple quick little parables here about warning to count the cost. Following Jesus does come with a cost. And, and he's, his, his questions, they're, they're really those questions that kind of beg the question. It says, who builds without calculating? You know, we're, we, we've been, we have, a, have a young man who comes and he's working on our front steps. And before he even started, I said, I need a quote. Because I don't know how much little, you know, lumber is and his labor. I need to know what the grand total of this is because I don't want in the middle of your project for me to say, hey, stop, I'm out of money. We, we counted the cost. This is how much your new steps are going to be. And by the way, they look great. I was so scared they were going to fall on one of you one of these days, but they're not now. Are you able to finish? It's something that's seen. The first guy's building a tower and he, he, he needs to calculate it because I think a tower, that's something that's public. Everyone's going to see that you didn't count the cost. So he's saying, look, to be my disciple, count the cost. It's better to not start than to start and bag it halfway through. Same with building, same with being a disciple. Is, is, it, is it relevant in a discipleship? He just told us, look, it's going to cost you your life. It may cost you your family. It may cost you everything. Maybe your job. It costs you your identity. Picking up your cross? Hey, no, sorry. Don't want to do that, Jesus. Then don't start, is his point. Don't start. Following him involves sacrifice. It's a serious thing consider it. This other example of a, of a king going into battle, in the previous example, the builder had a choice, build, don't build, 
but the king didn't. He had, a, he, had a, he had a decision to either go to battle or seek peace. The point is, is he had to carefully weigh his options. Following Jesus involves some planning, some consideration for your life. Finally, the fourth consideration, Jesus says, renounce all you have. Verse 33, so therefore, summing everything up, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He's talked about family. He's talked about ourself, our very identity. He's talked about cross-bearing and the cost of discipleship. Finally, it's possession. Renounce all that you have. Now, out of all of these things, out of all the cost, stuff, the things that we have, that's probably the lowest uh, of the cost, so to speak. Because, you know, stuff is just stuff. It doesn't last forever. Literally, it means to bid farewell to all that you have. Uh, Earlier, another time, actually, it's, I'm sorry, a little bit later in Luke 18, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, I want to follow you. What do I have to do to be, to have eternal life? And so Jesus said, you know, you know the commandments. And this guy says an amazing thing. He says, I've done all that since I was a boy. Now, if someone tells me that, I immediately think, sure, right. Jesus didn't do that. It's, it's almost a bit passively, but it's almost like he says he knows. Yeah, you, you've done pretty well. He says, the one thing you lack, take your possessions, sell all of them, and follow me. Now, that's not a command for everybody, to be honest. I know some people will teach that uh, you have to sell everything you have and become a follower of Christ. This was a command to this guy specifically. But his point was, is you have something more important in your heart than the Lord. It's your wealth. So you could put in whatever you might have more important. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your... um, uh, uh, you're standing in the community. Maybe it's your power and authority. Maybe whatever it is, there can't be another thing in front of the Lord. For this guy, it was his wealth. That was the thing. That was the one piece where anything but that. And the guy thought, he actually counted the cost and said, no. Nah. And he walked away sad. It wasn't worth it. He wasn't willing to give up even his possessions. Our all disciples must be ready to en- renounce their possessions. And really, it's the last thing that we should, we should be holding over the Lord. The common, uh, um, William Tyndale, scholar, said, Jesus does not want followers who rush, rush into discipleship without thinking of what's involved. The man who comes to him must renounce all that he has. And then these words condemn the half-hearted. We're not just talking about doing religion here. It's what takes priority of over Christ. Do, do any of us put any love in a position of idols? Because that's really what we're saying. If we love something more than the Lord, you know, possessions. I mentioned our, our, our standing before people to be well thought of. Maybe it's our wealth. Maybe it's Maybe it's even our kids or grandkids. 
It doesn't mean these things aren't valuable. It means Jesus is even more valuable than anything. He, again, is the only one who could save our souls. And it's a bit dangerous, quite frankly, to put something ahead of the Lord because we're making that an idol. And I've read the Bible. I've read the Old Testament. You know what happens to idols? They get torn down. They get torn down. How many masters can we serve? Just one. You, we all try at some point. I'll, I'll try two. I'll see. Yeah, I bet you I could pull that off. I could multitask in the masters that I'm going to serve. No one can serve two masters. You got to serve one and one only. I don't know the answer. If mere followers are saved. Disciples are. In, in our workbooks, if you've been following along with the workbook uh, with Experiencing God, they talk about making life adjustments. And these often can involve a cross, so to speak, or a change in priority. If I do what God's calling me to do, I may have to give up, you fill in the blank. Maybe it's comfort, maybe it's time, maybe it's money. Has God called you anything to do and you said, no, nope, 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 not going to do that. Has he done that? Remember, though, this. As, as you hear this, you go, wow, that's, that's a lot of cost of following Christ. And that's absolutely true. But don't forget, when we give up everything, he's the pearl of great price. So while you can give up everything, but you're getting something of such extraordinary value, it, it's not even a debate. Following him is worth it much, much more. There's nothing here, folks, in this world that's going to bring greater reward, greater satisfaction, greater peace than Jesus will. Perhaps our adjustments or our crosses, maybe they're even daily things of, of continual regular adjustments. If our faith, if we're walking along in our life and you're kind of comfy or in a rut, maybe we've just been kind of setting a limit to our devotion to Christ. Do we, do we know God and his expectations for us, what he wants us to do? Once we've said, I'm going to say yes to you, Lord, then, then, then the decision's already made. Um, but again, this walk with the Lord is better than anything this world has, by far. By far. There is no greater, there's nothing, no one, zero, no greater one to serve, no greater one to worship, and indeed, no greater one to love. Let's spend some time as we consider this passage if this if this 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 passage is uncomfortable it should be later on this crowds of people that are following Jesus they're going to go cuz he's going to start really laying down the law so to speak and they're going to say nah they're just looking for looking for a thrill looking to be entertained but to really follow him. And a few of them did. And they ended up changing the world as we know it. A couple of things we could be, we could be praying about just from in, in response to this. First of all, 
let's praise him that he made a way for us to follow him. He's the one who gave his life that we can even follow him or be his disciple in the first place. Let's thank him that he took up his cross. If he didn't do that, all bets are off. Forget it. If there's no cross, if there's no resurrection, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But he did. And then finally, asking God, show me the idol. Sometimes we don't even realize that we're keeping an idol before the Lord. God, is there something that I'm making a more better or more important priority than you? And finally, in commitment, maybe you just want to say, God, I'm going to take up my cross and follow you today. So let's spend some time in prayer.
Oh, my Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for your obedience. Because not only did you bear the cross, you bore the wrath of God for me, for us here. You didn't deserve it. You had, you had every right. You laid your rights aside. You laid your glory aside. You've gone before. You've done everything for us in advance. And you didn't hold something in reserve. Lord, forgive me for the times when I, I try to negotiate my own surrender. Say, Lord, I, I'll give you all of this, but this little corner of my life, let me keep that. No, the surrender has to be unconditional. But it's worth it. Because you, Lord, are worth it. Being right with you is worth it. And so, Lord, we, we pray for grace. We pray for understanding. We pray for uh, the, the power and ability to stand when the cost is harder to deal with. When it's tough to be uh, with family members who don't understand. When, when it may even cost us uh, promotions or, or positions at work. When it may cost us money and time and effort and sleep. But you are worth it. More than worth it. God, I pray that you'd show us those, those idols, those, those little areas we're trying to keep to it and under our own control. And then not, to, not grudgingly, but willingly with joy, be able to cut them down and say, Lord, here, here, this is all for you. And God, that we would take up our cross every day and follow you, regardless that might bring. Because you indeed are the pearl of great price. You are... Um, again, nothing else could save our souls, nothing else worth it. And when we see you, whether by death or your return, when we see you, we're going to say, yep, I get it now. I get it now. Oh, the things that we try to hold on to. So Lord, thank you for this challenge. Thank you for reminding us of, of what is in store. And if anything, it convinces me of, of your worth. All these wonderful things on here on earth. You're far greater. That's how worthy you are. And we pray this in your name. Amen. As the worship team comes back up, I have just a, a couple announcements. Uh, I'm probably feels like I'm harping on this a little bit. But please reserve the morning of November 11th uh, and join us for a time of worship and prayer. 
uh, and the Grove City College Group is coming to uh, guide us and lead us in that. Uh, and they're taking care of everything, pretty much everything for us uh, on that day. And uh, so I ask you to uh, reserve that. I don't know, I don't have it confirmed yet if childcare is available. They're, they're still working on that. The second thing is our, we're calling now our kingdom offering on November 19th. If you've been with Zion before, you know we had a celebration offering. And so we have kind of a local, a regional, and a global um, target targets uh, for that offering. And we, we challenge ourselves, we go before the Lord and say, God, what part do you want me to have in that? Uh, above and beyond our regular giving. Uh, and so um, let's, let's be praying that. Seek the Lord. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to know. No one else should know just between you and, and your family saying, hey, this is what I think God's telling us to do above and beyond what we normally do for our offering at that time. If, if um, whether you give online or give through our little box back there, it'll be on the 19th uh, is when we'll take that. And so the, whatever it is right off the top, that first, you know, for $500, and if that's, our, if that's our, the extent of it, that's what we're going to put it to. But um, we are praying for that for uh, uh, Word of Life devotionals for our students, our junior high and high school students. But there's going to be a lot more than what the actual students we have here. So we're hoping to be able to expand that maybe to their friends and to others where they could uh, be growing in that way. But, but I want to challenge you just with another little piece of that because maybe God is speaking to you at a time of, of giving of your time and your energy uh, and carrying a cross, so to speak, of saying, I'm going to maybe work with, meet with some of these students. Sit down with them and say, what is God teaching you? And you tell them what is God teaching you as well. And maybe even going through that, that devotional book with them yourself and guiding them on that. So maybe that might even be part of your kingdom offering. Whatever is above that $500, we're going to split in half uh, regionally for Living in Liberty. And they're the group, they're based out of Pittsburgh, but they're, I know they're also trying to work in, in areas in Butler. Uh, sometimes we do... Um, you know, clothing and, and other things for that box for them. Uh, but they are rescuing women primarily from the sex trafficking industry. Uh, if there, as I read through, uh, again, God's commitment to the weak and the enslaved, that's where our slavery is today. I know we had a horrific era in our country of slavery. There's still slavery going on. Uh, but it's different people. And so they, uh, I think it's important that we are dedicated to rescue them. The other group is our global group of missionary we just started ministering to this year uh, in this year's budget. Uh, his name is Dr. Gary Friesen, and he is helping um, the people and the pastors of Rwanda both build in their... A lot of them don't have any Bible literacy at all. If you talk to them about, you know, the pearl of great price, they know what you're talking about because they just don't have the opportunity to be in the scriptures. And that also involves pastoral training. So that's where, those are our three targets for our, our uh, kingdom offering on November 19th.